Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. From ESPN.com, Stephen Holder joins us. All right. It was a move that we all anticipated. It was necessary. It was the easy move, certainly, to make of, of moves of, of things that were detrimental to winning, ultimately tying with Houston coming up on Sunday. McLaughlin, the guy on Sunday in Jacksonville, and I'm assuming now here on out, any negativity, any losing, any embarrassment is going to fall firmly on the shoulders of the head coach, right? Because the scapegoat now is out of the way. Well, look, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> I, I don't. I don't think he's even a scapegoat. I, I just think it's just uh, it, it's one. One of many issues yeah. they had. One reason and, of for losing on Sunday, I guess. Yeah, but that's yeah, kind of scapegoatish, I think, too, because other guys you can't get rid of, won't get rid of. He, you felt you had to. So, yeah, scapegoatish, yeah, I, I guess. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I, I would say this. I, I, I think there's there's pressure. There has been pressure. I've said it all off season. There's there's a lot of pressure on Frank Reich, and pressure doesn't mean that you're you're about to get fired. I think. Pressure can come in different forms. I mean, like, I think for him right now, you know, where I don't think the conversation is about whether he keeps his job. I think the conversation right now is about how he is viewed within the organization, specifically by the owner. And, and that, will, that will be answered in time. And I think those answers are forthcoming, you know, once we figure out where this is all going. So I think that's how I see it. And so when we talk about it falling on the, the shoulders of the head coach, I think that's how I look at it. Yeah. Um, this, this whole season is a little bit of a referendum on everybody, honestly. I mean, both Frank Reich and Chris Ballard. And, and it's a referendum not because, not solely because last year was bad in terms of how it ended, but also because uh, the expectations are high for this team. I think rightly so. This team can still be very good. It still is a very good team. They just they soiled the bed, man. <laughs> okay, that's what happened. I think I still think this is a good team. And I look around the NFL and I see a lot of good teams who played like dog mess on Sunday. So I'm giving them a little benefit of the doubt, but they ain't gonna get much. They're not gonna get much. And they got to go win somewhere where they never seem to be able to win. Well, and that, that's the issue right here. And Stephen Holder of ESPN.com joins us. Is you come out of that, and and people, you know, yesterday you'd get a side of positive. Hey, look what they did in the fourth quarter, and they at least tied. It wasn't a loss. But I tend to view it a little bit differently. And it's not like I want to be negative, but I just viewed it this way. You had four of the worst quarters this organization had ever seen in January, and you followed that up with two and a half or close to three similar quarters to start things after a long offseason to ponder, evaluate, reevaluate, remaneuver, change up things in training camp four. And that's more, I guess, of what I looked at uh, other than that rebirth of sorts they had for the positive in the fourth quarter. What about you? Yeah, that's that's unsettling. It, it definitely is. I think the question is how much of a connection is there between what happened in January in Jacksonville and what happened on Sunday in Houston? I, I don't think there's a ton of connection, but I but I do think there were some recurring issues, and that I think has to be – that's something they have to confront, you know, and and I think it's things like the the little mistakes that were made. We saw a lot of that in Jacksonville, 
in January, and we saw a lot of that on Sunday in Houston. And, and those are the kinds of things that keep good teams from getting where they, they hope to go. I mean, that's how it happens. It happens because you fall short of expectations. You don't fall short of expectations because your team sucks if you're a really good team. The team doesn't suck. It's a good team. They've got a lot of talent. The, what happens is you fall short because your talent doesn't perform at the level it's expected. And when you're dropping touchdowns and, you know, you're, you're blowing um, containment and coverages and, and things like that, you know, that's how it happens. Okay. And it, sometimes it boils down to not who was more talented because I can tell you right now, you can look at the two rosters, Houston and Indianapolis, and it ain't going to take you very long to figure out who's got more talent. Right. But sometimes it's not about that. Sometimes it boils down to uh, just where are, are you going to make the plays or not and, and tap, capitalize on opportunities. I thought the only reason there was a tie, the only reason that we saw the Colts having to come back in the fourth, that they did that to themselves. I, I didn't see a great deal. Jerry Hughes at 34 making plays. But, I mean, even O.J. Howard, two touchdowns, you know, he was wide open on basically the same plays the way that it looked on Sunday. Just stuff that should be inexplicable for a group, most of which had gone through what they had gone through in that, that ending of the season a year ago in the offseason in preparation to get off to a better start. And that that that, uh, that does fall, I think, under the category of really inexcusable levels of play for these guys this past Sunday, even in a tie. Yeah, you, you mentioned the the wide-open touchdowns, and I, that, was, that was not good. And that did come up today with Gus Bradley, just to tie up that loose end there. I think I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, he was asked about that and he said, you know, this is a new defense, right? So that's something to keep in mind. And and I wonder whether we should have anticipated this maybe, but, but the point is we're here now. Uh, He said that a lot of that had to do with, uh, they had the wrong spacing, you know, in their, their match coverage and and their matchup zone. And I wonder if those are the kinds of things that are, that are maybe, um, you know, sort of characteristic when you switch defenses and you're playing this stuff for the first time, you know, especially against a, a real game plan offense now. You know, you weren't seeing game plan offenses in the preseason. So now that you are, you're getting different route combinations. It looks totally different. Pep Hamilton, by the way, say what you want about his time here. Pep Hamilton is a really nifty offensive coordinator, and he does stress you with formations and and, and the, the ways that he can attack you. And I thought that was evidence on Sunday. Uh, so I, I thought today they had a lot more struggles than you wanted to see defensively. But I, I, I saw some good things. I mean, if Quiddy Pay can turn the corner, maybe there's, you know, they need, that's the kind of thing they need. But, but they've got to all be performing uh, at a high level at the right time. Um, and I didn't see that. I, especially, like, let's talk about the star players too real quick. I think... DeForest Buckner, I think he had some moments, but Ngakwe, way too quiet. I thought Gilmore did his job. I thought he was pretty good. Uh, but, you know, the, the top players, Kenny Moore had some moments that he would want back. We saw that as well in January. So my point is, these, these standout players, they got to play at the level we know they can play at. Otherwise, 
all the expectations ain't going to matter. Well, I, I put expectations, and Stephen Holder joins us both on the offensive line and the defensive line very high because of you know yes. what they're all paid, number one and number three in the NFL. And I, I'm sorry, Grover Stewart played well, I thought, and obviously talked about Quiddy Pay yeah. and the two sacks of the same series. Uh, but both I, I I felt underperformed a great deal as to what I would expect from both groups on Sunday. That's kind of what I'm saying. I think there were some individual performances that I, I thought you can really uh, take heart in, and I mentioned them for the most part. But, but the offensive line, right? You mentioned that unit. What is going on with Braden Smith? I mean, he pulled it together, but he looked like he was just – he looked like he was lost for a lot of that game. And and there have been some concerning moments with Braden Smith, even going back to last season. Now, some of that was injury-related, but I don't know of any current injury with Braden Smith. So unless I'm missing something, then he's just getting beat with the speed off the edge, and that can't happen. So he's got he's to play at that Pro Bowl level because I've seen him do it. He has to do it because the expectations are, are built – with with these uh, performances in mind. You know, we don't build these expectations by convincing ourselves that their good players are going to play terrible. <laughs> you know, these expectations are what they are because we expect the, the best players to play well, and a lot of times they just aren't. Also, offensive line, uh, Ryan Kelly, I, I don't know what's going on with the, the snapping. Ryan Kelly told me at least one of those was on him it was a communication issue with the cadence, and I think he was a little premature there. Uh, I don't know on Ryan's end what's going on. He took the blame. Uh, Ryan, uh, I mean, Matt Ryan, that is. Uh, he took the blame for all of it because that's what quarterbacks do. But I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt because I've seen those guys play at very high levels. But, but that kind of stuff can't happen. It ain't excusable. Yeah, we, I guess some knew before – they were going in that Pryor and Ryman would be handled, you know, with, with that level, um, you know, 87%, to, you know, whatever, 13% of the snaps uh, compared to the rookie and, you know, the very um, inexperienced left tackle starter and Matthew Pryor. I guess what I would ask you this, is this just a precursor to at some point this season making that change there? I would say probably because otherwise what the hell Why would you be doing it? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't like it as it is, honestly. I, I like, especially at offensive line, I like playing with one guy and just letting it go, you know, just letting it ride. Now, I, I don't know. What is there to be gained, I guess, is what I'm saying. What are you gaining by rotating a left tackle? What is What, what are you going for, right? I mean, they're, they said they're trying to get him some snaps, talking about uh, trying to get Bernard Raymond some snaps. Okay, I understand that. But it, you're also telling me by doing that, you're telling me that Matt Pryor is not good enough. Otherwise, you wouldn't take him off the field. <laughs> I mean, you don't take Quentin Nelson off the field. Not that they have anybody else approaching that level. I'm just saying, you know, you don't take Braden Smith off the field because why? You know you don't have anyone better, and he's the guy, right? So if he's the guy, you wouldn't be taking so him off the field. Have they realized that? Have they determined that? Or is this just to get? Is that just to get the rookie snaps? I, I don't know if I have seen that at left tackle before. Have you? I'm certainly not around here. Uh, it, it, I've seen some rotation on offensive line, but I've never been a fan of it. I, I just don't know what you gain. I think if anything, 
it hurts you because, you know, look, I, I think Quentin Nelson, no less than Quentin Nelson has talked to me about you know, what it's like playing uh, alongside one guy consistently. And, and when you have offensive line continuity, what that means, we've seen this line when it was, when, when they lacked continuity because of injuries and it, it it's difficult to overcome. So when you disrupt continuity intentionally by taking a guy out and putting someone else in, I, I think you better have a really good reason. And I don't know. I'm not sold on that. I, I personally, unless you think Raymond is just a complete liability right now, if he's good enough to play some of the snaps, why isn't he good enough to just play all the snaps? I mean, your, their starter prior's getting, he's getting handed, um, getting his hat handed to him anyway, against speed. At least I think with Raymond, he's a better athlete, I believe. And, and eventually once he learns um, with some on the job training, he'll be able to, to adjust to, to some of the tactics he sees, but athletically he's, I think going to be able to do a better job against the speed rushers out there. Now, whether he can, counter everybody's moves and anticipate them probably not so you're going to lose some things but but the problem right now is them dealing with speed rushers and, and prior and raymond i think is in my opinion for what it's worth i think he's better equipped for that i would uh obviously for this situation if you you're pointing fingers i would do it at the general manager chris ballard but any fingers at all with this offensive line play not living up to expectations going to be pointed at chris strasser that's fair. I mean, he he definitely has a lot at his disposal, and and I understand that there's there's a concern at left tackle, and that has been um, all off season. It's been a concern, but you know, I, I, it's too early to say. I, I'll, I'll give Strasser credit on some level because what he did last year, I thought, was pretty impressive. You know, he got guys like Chris Reed to get in there and and really play at a really high level and, and they had some, they had a lot of injuries last year actually on the offensive line and they were able to be, you know, pretty steady throughout. So I, I, I got to give him some credit for that. Uh, so I'm, I'm not ready to blame him yet, but, but I do think he's going to have his work cut out for him there at that left tackle spot. All right, so but you, you just yeah. to follow up though, you mentioned uh, blame. I mean, on Chris Ballard, look, I mean, this is not a new conversation. We've been asking Wait, about left I tell you what, before you answer January. this, I, I'm going I'm to stop you. Before you answer this, yeah. let me frame up the question uh, to okay. make a little bit more sense, and, and maybe your answer can be even more lengthy and more detailed. Stephen Holder from ESPN.com is with us. So you look at Blankenship today. You know, something we had all talked about was a problematic area that I, I don't know. They addressed it with Verity with that competition, but I mean, come on, you kind of knew early that that dude wasn't going to be the guy. So I don't know how serious the competition ever was. Um, right. You know, that's something you had to backpedal on today. Uh, we're talking about left tackle, which is something we talked about all off season, not being ready for prime time. And then wide receiver outside of Michael Pittman Jr. was, again, a significant issue on Sunday, something I've talked about, I think, since I, I was born around here, at least it seems <laughs> since the Manning era, certainly. Um, there's a lot of finger-pointing at a general manager that you know feels that he has everything right, and certainly in week number one, a lot of these problematic areas did not look that way. So I will go back to a, a tweet that I had yesterday because all of my best you know, random thoughts I, I put on Twitter, obviously. Um, so 
I, I said, I had a quick thought. I said, you know, one of the problems with these obvious questions that, that have kind of plagued them, uh, at least for week one, you know, the questions about wide receiver, questions about kicker, questions about left tackle, et cetera. The frustrating thing about it is that it undermines the credibility of Frank Reich and Chris Ballard, who, by the way, are really smart guys. And so when they do this stuff and they do it a lot, it, it makes it harder for people to trust them. Right. And, and I, and I don't, they're not doing it because they're stupid. (laughs) They're doing it because maybe it's, they're stubborn or they, they believe uh, when they shouldn't believe, you know, I I don't know, but, but it does. I, I understand on, on a lot of levels, the frustration, um, that fans have because you know that this, that the, it's an issue and they're telling you to trust us. And then when it doesn't work, then you don't feel like you should trust them. But I, I understand that, but it under it's undermining their credibility. And they, they have that credibility because they have had, they have given or displayed a lot of reasons to earn it, but I can't defend it. And we can't defend it when they do things that are obviously questionable and they don't pan out. Especially if the same stuff, it's the same stuff. Yeah, it is. Um, look, wide receiver. I'll I'll give you I'll give them this at wide receiver. I they got some wide open guys, and they they definitely got some matchups that they made them work in their favor. But you got to bring the ball in, man. And and I'll say this: they they did equip themselves better later in the game, and so that's a positive. We'll see what happens in you know week two and beyond. Um, I'm I'm gonna give. Uh, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to tell myself that Alec Pierce, that was a nerves thing on the first one, the, the touchdown that he dropped. I mean, that's a, that's one of those. I got it. I got it. I don't got it. You know, it's, it's one of those. I mean, I, I don't know. I guess it's, that's the only thing I can, I can attribute it to. I mean, that's as wide open as it gets. Right. And, and Matt Ryan makes just a, an outstanding play, by the way. Okay. To, to work the pocket, and I don't think he got enough credit for that on Sunday. Just the way he, he was able to, to run, navigate that. Run path. for his life, yes. We yeah. also call that running for your life. At 37 yeah. especially. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, I, I just think that there's a chance that that's these uh, wide receivers, that could work itself out. But uh, let's just hope they're right. I, I, I want to make this comparison, and maybe it's unfair. And you can tell me if it is or not, because I know – one team that I bring up here has Patrick Mahomes under center, and that changes absolutely everything. But in terms of, of wide receiver, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, for example, uh, Valdez-Scantling, for example, yeah. uh, were available. Um, and, you know, obviously Chris Ballard likes what he has right now. We knew that Michael Pittman Jr. was going to give them big numbers. Tyreek Hill leaves Kansas City. So we knew that Travis Kelsey was going to give them big numbers, which he did. But, you know, in that first week on the road in Arizona, Kansas City got to lean on some veterans for some help between them 10 catches and, you know, over 120 yards or so uh, between the two veteran been there, done that wide receivers, which, again, just has me question why others see that need. And then Ballard clearly doesn't hear. And it showed up again on Sunday in that tie. You you mentioned Valdez Scandling, and I he was the guy that I really liked for the Colts because I thought he gave them exactly what they needed opposite Michael Pittman. You know, Pittman is, is the, you know, the big uh, sort of 
um, X receiver. And I thought they needed that, that speed guy on the other side, you know, who can really, I, I think, get the safety to back off. And then you let Pittman work the middle of the field, which he's so good at. And they just, I mean, look, the Chiefs got him. I'm looking at it here. I mean, they got him for three years, $30 million. It's a lot of money, but I think it's, it's money well spent. And there's no question about it that, uh, I mean, they got, I, I think they probably got a two for one at receiver after letting, letting yeah. Tyreek Hill go. That was you know? it, yeah. 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 So and anyway, it's, it's, and maybe it's not a fair argument because you have Patrick yeah. Mahomes. For sure. But, but still. Well, one other yeah. quick thing. The other thing I would say is I, I know that the quarterback situation did impact them in free agency, and there wasn't anything I guess they could do about that. But, um, but I, I don't disagree. Money talks. If you want a guy, there, is, there are ways to get him. Yeah. I, and I just, it, it just seemed like on Sunday we saw that again. And, and in fact, I love Michael Pittman Jr., I absolutely love. And here's why because I know that that dude soaks up the fact that not just NFL people, but Colts fans will always say, hey, the guy's still a number two and he's not a number one, but hey, he's good. He's better than that description right there. And I love the fact he soaks this up as a team leader and just goes out there like he did on Sunday and performs. Love that. Listen, I I will tell you, I don't think we have seen the peak of this kid yet. And, you know, as he and and Matt Ryan continue to develop this synergy, the, the ceiling is really high, man. I'm just telling you. And of course that brings us to the the next question eventually is (laughs) what is it going to cost? Right. It's going to cost, a hell of a lot of money. Yes, it more will. money than Chris Bowers ever paid a wide receiver. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, maybe we'll see the uh, the tide turn a little bit with that in mind because it's his own finally, right? There you go. I I, I think I hope right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as long as they get yeah get to that that particular uh, portion of the finish line, I guess that uh, that might right. work. Um. All right. This on this on Sunday. What are we looking at with this Jacksonville team? What what do you gather? You mentioned the pressure a little bit earlier on Frank Reich. It certainly should be there. I mean, 0-1-1 as a start going into week three against Kansas City here is uh, far from ideal. What do you think about the matchup coming up on Sunday, Steve? Well, look, I I think that, you know, when you bring Doug Peterson into the conversation, I think it changes things. And I didn't get a chance to watch them on, on Sunday, you know, obviously them playing opposite the Colts. But, look, here's the thing on, on Trevor Lawrence. This kid, I don't know what he's going to be, but if if Doug Peterson can get this kid on the right track, look, he didn't forget how to play football, okay? He just ended up in a really bad situation last year. And and I was thinking about this earlier today, and I don't know if this is the actual question, but it's it's something that's relevant anyway. If Trevor Lawrence gets on track, and let's let's say he becomes the guy we think he is, all of a sudden, the Jaguars have by far, by far, the best quarterback situation in the entire division. And that's something that I think Colts fans should not lose sight of. Okay, keep, keep an eye on Jacksonville this year. And Doug Peterson, um, look, for all of Wentz's struggles at the end in, in Philadelphia with Peterson – uh, we also saw him get the best out of Carson Wentz too, right? And so, so we'll see what happens. Um, I, I think the Jaguars are a better team. Their defense 
uh, particularly on the edges, is, is going to be a, a challenge, and the Colts have issues there. So this has the potential to be a lot harder than you think it is on paper. Yeah, it's uh, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Did you think the Paris Campbell might have been targeted more than he was? I think it was four targets on the afternoon down in Houston. I think he may have – you thought maybe yeah. he was going to get more. And, and by the way, being there where you could sit in the press box, was there – was there a lot of ball padding going on before throwing from Matt Ryan uh, because the wide receivers weren't getting open quick enough or because he was kind of running for his life at times? What was more of the major factor yeah, as far as you saw that? Because it, it, it seemed like the dude was holding on to it a lot more than he ever wanted to. I thought it was uh, a couple of things. I think number one, well, I'll start with the, the Paris Campbell uh, question. I did think he might get more targets. And I was basing that just, just on what I saw in training camp, you know, and he, he was really, really involved in training camp and I thought was featured quite a bit. Um, obviously Pittman got the overwhelming majority and that affected everybody else's targets. Uh, we'll see. And then, you know, guys like strong, he played more snaps than I anticipated. So maybe that was a factor. I don't know, but I, yeah, I did think Paris Campbell would get targeted more uh, on, on Matt Ryan and holding the ball. I, you know, I, I think a couple things you, you get in first, especially in, in week one, uh, you're going to get some looks that you don't anticipate. That definitely happened. There were some there were some looks they didn't they didn't know that they would get. So that's that's part of it. And then uh, the other thing I think is just when when that pass rush impacts your throwing lanes, uh, he you know you can't step into your throws. And he had a lot of instances like that where he had to to sort of shuffle his feet and move left to right, that throws off the timing of the play. And that, that's why a pass rush is so important. And I think Houston showed you what a consistent pass rush could do. There's nothing else that they can do. Uh, they're good up front on defense. That's what the strength of their team. So uh, the Colts have to make life hard like that for other teams because I think that's going to be their meal ticket on defense. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Hopefully you will witness uh, a better outcome, better set of circumstances on Sunday in Jacksonville. Uh, for Frank's sake, hopefully you will. <laughs> so, yeah, how about uh, break another streak? Well, I guess they didn't break the first streak, but no. break a streak. For once. No, no, that was uh, it was uh, most of that game was a major downer other than and you know, I think about this, too, that 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 wide receiver drag that 11 was running went for big yards the first time they did it. And I think that was that final play before mm -hmm. Blankenship came in and missed that field goal that it, they went at it again, I think, there. And uh, Houston was certainly more prepared for it. It looked like that second time. Right. And that's why other guys. They got to step up. Other guys have to. Be Nobody able was to... open either on that play. Maybe Mo Alley right. was over the middle, maybe, but not so much. And yeah, nobody else. Nobody was open on that play. That's why Ryan had yeah. to eat it. Yeah, look, and, and I think you know that they have tape on these guys now, and they're going to start seeing. They're going to see some of what Houston did. I think when you get physical with these guys, I think that definitely is detrimental to them. Yeah. You know, the only guy out there who can consistently handle physical coverage, at least who has proven it, is Michael Pittman. And so, you know, we'll have to see. I mean, because other teams are going to bring it because they've, they've seen it work. In fact, he's the only person uh, that's in the pass-catching category that's proven he can do anything in pass-catching. So, yes. <laughs> well, yeah, he, he's definitely more accomplished than Alex Pierce right now. <laughs> got a zero on the board, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, ESPN.com for Stephen Holder. I appreciate you, man. 
Okay, man. I'll talk to you soon. Stephen Holder on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Greg Rakestraw, the post-game show host and more, is with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Did you like, I feel, that especially after that miss, the days were numbered for a Rodrigo blanking ship here with the Colts? That was it. Um, when it was that bad of a miss and that high of stakes and the first really critical kick after you had won the kicking camp battle, um, I'm not surprised they are making a move. Um, I, again. Clearly, there were concerns last year uh, when he was basically a, a healthy scratch from the middle of the year on in favor of Michael Badgley. And so knowing that the first big-time kick of this year went haywire, um, I was not surprised at all that that move was made earlier this afternoon. I know a lot of people suggest, hey, either it's not that big of a deal, they have uh, deeply rooted problems worse than that or you know you you make this change give him another chance I, you you have to do something because they also have yep. a past history with letting Adavinatere play out that role and that was incredibly detrimental to the team three years ago well what I would say is this is that you know there were more makes than misses um enough in 2020 to catch your attention you bring him back in 2021 he has some misses he's going through an injury issue and basically then you keep him on the sidelines for the rest of the year Having been out there in Westfield, I can tell you he definitively was the winner of the of the camp battle with Jake Verity. Rodrigo was better, um, but it doesn't – again, all that goes away when you are handed the opportunity to win a football game from 42 yards out and you're doing so in perfect weather conditions and you miss it and miss it that badly. Some Somebody that has the same level of talent, if not better – and the other thing that plays into this as well are the kickoffs. And I will treat this differently than most everybody else. A, I know Blankenship was not really brought in with the idea of having to handle the kickoffs. That was supposed to be Rigoberto Sanchez. And two, the balls that he hit, I've never seen, I've never seen balls turn that way the way he did or the way they did. And literally both those hit like inside of the one-yard line and did like a duck hook left. I've never seen anything like that. But at the same time, you also know that's about the max distance he can hit that ball. Leg strength was always a problem for Blankenship compared to other kickers. And so you have the, you have the, the biggest mistake, the miss from 42. But you also know, hey, kickoffs are a problem. You add those two things together. And I'm not surprised in the slightest the Colts are going to go with somebody else this Sunday in Jackson. So Greg Rakestraw's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Did you feel as I felt that bringing in Jake Verity, sure, competition quotes, but could you have brought somebody else in that maybe would have provided more competition? Because it did kind of seem like it was the bare minimum that Blankenship had to do to win that gig back. I would say this. I mean, Verity, Verity came in very highly recommended. And again, you could see the electricity in terms of you know, the way the ball left his foot, the sound of it, um, and, and, you know, what the Colts did for many years, we jokingly called it the, uh, the kicking internship they had. You know, guys like McManus, who you saw last night, uh, you know, Parkey, Badgley, et cetera, you tend to go, okay, that guy, the guy that they bring in knowing he's not going to, you know, unseat the incumbent, but the guy's probably pretty talented. Well, you'd say the same thing about the Ravens. You know that, that Tucker's not going to lose the job, but the guy that was his understudy last year catches your attention. So I don't fault the Colts for who they brought in. 
It was a it was an open competition, and in terms of accuracy, Blankenship won the job. And I think the thing that Colts fans will find, even those that cover the team, we, that will find, it's not like there is an easy choice to say, "Hey, that's the guy you should go bring in." You know, this this is not to some degree the gift the Colts got that when Sanchez got hurt, you had a guy that had been a punter in the NFL for five years that was all of a sudden available the way that Matt Hawk was. There's not that easy of a choice in terms of who you got to go out and get, but just the thought is whomever you get, fucking have a stronger leg and should be able to make one from 42 when the game is on the line. Mm. Yeah. So here's from Tom Palacero. The Colts are signing kickers Chase McLaughlin and Lucas Haverisk to the practice squad. So after cutting Blankenship, and I had just mentioned McLaughlin a little bit earlier because I had not seen his name out there. Um, and then I, I was told that he was actually here. So they're signing both of those kickers as of right now, again, from Tom Palacero to the practice squad. That's going on now. And that tells me that, that frankly, and again, you can do this with a practice squad of 16. Most, shouldn't say most, but a, a fair number of teams will have a kicker or a punter on the practice squad. And so if you're going to sign two to the practice squad, it tells me that instead of having a one-day tryout for the gig, now you're looking at having a three- or four-day tryout for the gig. And then one of those guys, obviously, will be elevated from the practice squad to the active roster for Sunday's game. Hey, Kyle, look up Haverisk. I don't really recognize that. McLaughlin, we do because we have seen him, and we looked up his stats a year ago in Cleveland, and he was 40% from 40 through 49 yards away. So you you basically need to be eighty percent from under fifty at this point right to be considered a, a good NFL kicker. You miss from outside of fifty. Yeah, I tend to say okay, that's that's you know uh, that that's a different story. And obviously, weather conditions could have played a factor. Being outdoors could have played a factor in that. Um, when McLaughlin was here at the end of twenty twenty, I thought he was solid. Uh, you know, if it, or I guess I guess it was twenty nineteen that he was here. Now uh, was solid, if not spectacular. Uh, but uh, at least he's a guy that you know has, has has kicked in NFL games before and has been in those pressure situations. I loved him in Blazing Saddles and in 1941, and we'll use his name here, it seems to be somewhat slim pickings going on, <laughs> right. right? So that's, right. that's what and we're you, looking the, at here. The, the thing is, though, is that you would actually think now because we have had this run of spring football leagues, whether it's the uh, Alliance of American Football, the XFL, the USFL, the Spring League, there actually would be guys that have a little bit more, uh, if not NFL experience, at least a little more in-game experience. But, uh, no, there's uh, there's not a lot of game experience guys to choose from. And, again, it shows how stupidly lucky we were for 15 years to have Adam Minitari. Do, do you look at this at all, though? And I know you kind of answered this question regarding Verity and his credentials coming in during training camp and that place-kicking competition. But do you view this as all as you're really not taking this thing Seriously enough, you know, given the credentials of the guys that they had to go with clearly in a pinch right now? No, I mean, again, Verity was a guy that because of of, of the job he did in camp with the Ravens last year um, and, and the job he did at East Carolina, you tend to say, hey, this is potentially, you know, a, an up-and-coming kicker, a guy that hadn't done in the National Football League at, in game competition, but a guy that had all the tools. And when given the chance to win the job in camp, he simply didn't. It's a Greg Rakesaro with us. All right, away from the kicker stuff for a moment. He's via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I know 
there was a, a mixed-in you know drive that was sustained and should have ended at least in a touchdown, and it did not. But what kind of concerned me more so than anything else about that tie on Sunday, Greg, was the way for the better part of nearly three quarters this team looked and way, the way it was comparable to the way that it looked to end the season in January in Jacksonville. That was more of a concern with me and really kind of outweighed the performance we saw to wake up of sorts in the fourth quarter Sunday? I, I would say I split it 50-50. I thought the first quarter the team played well. They obviously went three and out on the opening drive, but after that, you drive the length of the field, you get three, you drive the length of the field, you're at fourth and goal at the two-yard line. It shouldn't have gotten that because Pierce should have hung on the ball. Your defense gave you two three and outs the first two series. So I'd say the first quarter the Colts played well, just didn't take advantage of the opportunity. Obviously, in the second quarter, mistakes started to cascade third quarter it did not get better the switch did not get flipped for this football team until it was 22-3 and that should not be the case in the opening week of the season when you're playing a division rival when things end the way they did last year and when your only true injury of note in terms of guys that aren't going to play in the game is Shaq Leonard so you know let's not you and I get caught up in semantics here as to how how well they played for what period of time it was not good enough, and that is bothersome to say the least. It's a Greg Rakestraw. He's the post-game show host with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We'll get back to some of the negatives in a second, but the, the positives stood out, especially offensively. It was Jonathan Taylor once again and Michael Pittman Jr. And I said this yesterday about Michael Pittman Jr. I love the fact that people, even Colts fans, continue to describe him as a number two and not a number one because he's going to put up number one type of numbers and take that motivation of being slighted every single week and put that fight to the field and i love that about him he's going to tell you he's number one with a very specific finger uh people keep telling him that uh, because the dude can play and you heard me say this consistently that you know again questions about colts receiver depth extremely valid um people that thought the colts would have a number one receiver extremely inaccurate Pittman is that dude i think he is going to have a huge year and i realize again defenses will be shaded to try to stop him but I say that to a point because there's a, you can only key on so many guys in terms of how you de, how you defend a football team, and as long as 28 is on the field, you can't be throwing that many dudes at number 11 because 28 is going to run roughshod on you. So um, that that is the, the 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 saving grace, other than the come from behind effort and the gift that is the AFC South and the fact that Colts tied and are in first place in the division, but. The two guys that you absolutely had zero question about, that you said, hey, they have to bring it every Sunday offensively, those guys did. Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. They were both fantastic. It's Greg Rakestraw via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So you think at all that this is a dangerous territory? And I know somebody asked me this a little bit earlier, and I said this is just not Jim Irsay. But is there dangerous territory – coming off a tie, going to Jacksonville, and a potential to start 0-1-1 with Kansas City in your home opener on the horizon. Is there a potential danger zone at all, you think, for the head coach? I think that, I think that's taking a big leap in the wrong direction in terms of um, it getting there for Frank and knowing that, I mean, what, the last 
mid-year coaching change for this franchise. You hear me slowing down to have the mental wheels in my head start going would have been Rick Venturi in 91 with Ron Meyer, right? Yeah. I, I think before that was a coordinator. Didn't you have uh, – it was uh, Pep yeah. Hamilton, right? Right, exactly. Um, where th- that those things – those things typically have just not happened in terms of making a change with this football team. Um, I, it's a, it's a danger zone for the team. I, I am not getting to the point of saying we're, we're potentially somebody's coaching for their job. I don't think we're at that point yet. So Greg Rakestra with us. All right. High school wise, what you got working this week for you? Got Ben Davis and Warren central last year when they got together, it was 57, 56. Uh, they have played every year since 1937. Both teams are two and two. Uh, I, I think Ben Davis is in a little better spot than Warren Central. As Warren had a lot of returning pieces, but a quarterback change. I think that has kind of thrown them off a little bit to, to start the year. Ben Davis has losses to the teams that might be one and two in the state currently in terms of Center Grove and in terms of Brownsburg. And both of them were were single score games. Uh, in Brownsburg's case, Ben Davis kind of caught up late and had a chance and, 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 and couldn't get a stop or couldn't get a score to win the game. In the Center Grove game last week, they led in the fourth quarter, and then Center Grove scored late to win it 35-34. So Ben Davis and Warren Central, year in, year out, one of the best rivalries in the state of Indiana, and that's my game on Friday night. That's going to be a good time. And uh, back to the college football grind coming up on uh, Saturday again for the local squads too. Notre Dame. Notre Dame, the negativity at Notre Dame's uh, probably similar to the week one negativity we've been have having floating around here so far. And the thing is, is that obviously now once you get a quarterback injury, uh, your season just took an amazing and negative left turn if you're Notre Dame. And so – uh, you know, that program had got to the point where it's, you know, they they have not been as concerned with, hey, are we going to be over 500 this year with are we in the college football playoff or not this year? And without having that conference to fall back on, once you start 0-2, you know, it's almost a fair question. Hey, what exactly do the next 10 weeks look like for Notre Dame? What's the motivation for this group knowing you're not playing in the college football semifinals at this point? Greg Rakestraw with us. Always a pleasure, my friend. I appreciate that. We'll be uh, listening up not only on Friday, but after the game coming up on Sunday. And hopefully you have much better things to talk about, right? I hope, much like I hope. I can't fix the pregame for you in week two. I hope for you the pregame's a little more positive going into week number three. (laughs) Yeah, be nice, wouldn't it? I'm telling you, you just kind of sit and wait. That's the way sports around here have been with the teams everybody roots for. With that glimmer of positivity, it's always followed by a big crap sandwich most of the time now, here are recently. You, are you back at Are you back at Bottle Works on Sunday, or will you be in the studio? I believe we'll be in the studio. I don't know if we're going to do the Bottle Works thing again. Although that was a really good time, I can't lie about that. That was a hell of a time. But so you'll have to confine your drinking to Bud Light Blue Mondays <laughs> and Fridays. Okay, yeah, no, they always just bring all that over and just uh, sit it right in front of me too. I mean, they and, they and, and, they know where to go. I'm I'm gonna pop the bubble uh, for everybody listening. Okay, John rarely drinks. Okay, it's 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 it's, it's it's why the sponsors are always you know flocking to John from an alcohol standpoint. They know he's not going to drink them out of free product when they bring it to the table. It will sit there for show. So if you can sneak by the program, he might hand you a freebie, the one that he well, doesn't drink. I th- I think they know this. I'm careful about where I, I can drink. I can drink like crazy, but I'm careful about where that happens. 
That is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I'm a little careful about that. Like, uh, have you having seen sure. you bobbing drunk in a uh, in a pool in Florida <laughs> in 2016? I can verify Bobby, that. Yes, I was bobbing. I was bobbing around in the you, pool you for your real. Own flotation device while holding a beer in each hand. Yes, I can verify that. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. It's uh, Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. Chase McLaughlin and Lucas Haverisk. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline, Kevin and Query, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. right here on The Fan. Jake Query joins us. So here we are, face-to-face, a couple of silver spoons. You know what theme song I'm going into right now? Are you riding your choo-choo train around Hoping your bedroom to find with your race car bed? We're two of a kind. We're two of a kind. Man, I'm gonna tell you what. His dad. His dad was such a stud. His dad doesn't get enough play for being a stud, because the guy was an owner of a toy company, had a mansion, had video games and everything you wanted to train, and he had Aaron Gray on his hip too. Yeah. Man, that yeah. guy. What was his name? Boy, I can't remember that. I can't remember Ricky Schroeder's name either. I, you know, because just well, he was the Ricker, the Ricker, because he went by well, the yeah, Ricker. That's right. No, the Rick Stur. What was it? The Ricker or the Rick, Rick Stratton? Joel Stratton was it? No, Joel Higgins was the actor. It was was his name Rick Stratton. His name was Stratton, Rick Stratton, the Ricker. But man, Aaron Gray rolling around. Come yeah. on, ride the train. That'd work. By the way, I, I do appreciate that. Um, <laughs> your flexibility here because I realized that you're kind enough to usually have me out on Mondays and that was just no way that was going to happen after coming in on a red eye. Like it was brutal. So yeah, thank you for being flexible. And it, I guess, um, you know, it worked out because we got a decent amount to talk about today as well, which means that we'll have a lot to talk about tomorrow morning. Yeah. And see, people think that, Oh, wow. You guys love this negativity. You guys love talking about this, but man, it doesn't do us much good. It really doesn't. I mean, it really does hurt. When it comes down to it, our scoreboard our scoreboard is hurt by this type of stuff. Our scoreboard reads much better in our favor if things are going right and everybody's extremely happy with their favorite team around here. Here's the thing, and I don't want to sound – I'm going to go back to what I said before, John, with you. You know, we're really lucky to be able to do what we do for a living. It's not really work, right? I mean, we're fortunate to have very fun jobs that are probably more detailed than people realize. But still, we're not, you know, it's not manual labor. But, and so we're lucky for that. And I appreciate, as I know you do as well, the people that make it possible for us to do that, the people that listen to us every day. But there is a narrative from some, not all, that we fabricate or make stuff up out of thin air. And the two of us don't do that. If we're talking about, you know, somebody called in this morning and was like, hey, you guys are just talking about this blanket ship thing of him being on thin ice just to make something up and he's fine. And I'm like, I understand why people would feel that way. But I'm like, look, don't shoot the messenger. Like we were discussing it because there was real concern about his lack of consistency and reliability as a kicker. Is he a nice guy? Sure. I don't know Rodrigo Blankenship, but by all accounts, he's a nice guy. Is he a fun personality? Sure. But his job is to kick field goals and extra points. And once that started to go south in a position that is as mental as any in sports, then you had to take a look at doing what you can to improve your roster. And here we are. So it wasn't made up. Clearly there was validity to it. And now you turn the page towards, okay, where do they go from here? And I'm with you. I I mean, I thought Badgley would also get a phone call, to be honest with you. I don't think anybody signed him yet. I know kickers are kind of – you know, they, they, they kind of 
all are waiting by the phone all the time, right? But uh, but I think you know McLaughlin's got, McLaughlin is probably going to be the guy in the end, right? They signed two of them. They, they elevate one from the practice squad going into Jacksonville, and now you've got two storylines of exercising demons, I guess, in one. One of them is just the kicker and taking care of that situation, and the other is trying to erase that taste in their mouth from the last time they were in Jacksonville. Well, and, and unfortunately, Jake Curry joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. But unfortunately, we're talking about stuff, and hey, I realize that we are just universally uh, not even in the neighborhood of a smart as what's going on on West 56th Street and watching and evaluating and knowing. I guess what the frightening portion of this is, this is stuff. We're talking about stuff that, that we have, and I know I have right here, have talked about absolutely since the start of training camp, since the off season, And it does get relatively disappointing when those that are certainly paid to know much better are a little bit slow on that particular role. You know what I mean? Yeah. It does. Yeah, I mean, so I know it's easy for time. me to pot shot. I don't mean to, but I, I wouldn't bring it up if I hadn't brought it up prior. You know, I wouldn't, yeah. but we, well, we have. And all this stuff we're talking about was kind of recognized, I think, in that, that first game, unfortunately, in that tie on Sunday. Yeah, I think, look, uh, it comes down to three things. There are three pursuits of it. Nobody cares about, like, our job execution, I realize, but you know, there are three levels to a story. The first is the anticipatory, which is, hey, what things out there like look like maybe they could become, you know, something that's worth keeping an eye on. The second is, okay, this is now a story because they have told us that they are keeping, that they are concerned about it. And the third is, okay, they've made a change. Where do we go from here? This enters into stage three, right? But the two things I will admit to your point that we talked about in the off season, probably that you wondered if they wouldn't just try to find more stability in were receiver and kicker. And, and I mean, for me, and there are two schools of thought here when it comes to the place kicker, seemingly. And that is one is that you go with the guy, as I mentioned this morning, you go the guy, you, you go with the guy that is Richard Hamilton. You know, you're from the mid-range game, solid as can be, and you know what you're getting every time. And for Blankenship, for the better part of his time here, certainly the beginning of his career, you know, last year, you know, you get it with between, let's say, 22 and 40, pretty darn good. You know, you, pretty solid, whatever. But I just think that, that a kicker, to me, the real value is in one, in finding a guy that you know late in the game shortens the field for you because you have a puncher's chance by getting yourself within, like, say, you know, 50 to 55, whatever. It, it shortens the amount of time you've got to get. You know, look, it, to me, the real alarm bell went off if there weren't any already and the fact that you get one loss of yardage play at the end of the uh, at the end of your possession there that throws Ryan back and now all of a sudden you're you're kicking it from 4 yards further back and he looked affected by that but i mean blankenship looked affected and then shanks the kick and it, you throw into in addition to that the issues with the kickoffs and you know out of bounds and you know i mean look nice guy don't get me wrong and certainly hope for the best for him and that he that he Gets back on. Look, he's not the first kicker to lose his way and get the yips, and he won't be the last. And he may still recover himself into becoming an adequate kicker somewhere. It's just not going to be for the Indianapolis Colts. So, Jay Query, morning show co host, he and Kevin in the morning. He and Mark Dykton this week because Kevin is out all week long on paternity leave with little Max at home with the fam, which is really nice. And Jake's via the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. I want to ask you this because I brought this up yesterday 
Uh, I thought it was, for the better part of three quarters, a couple of drives in the first, okay. And, and really the game changer in, in that first uh, that first quarter, no doubt, and a couple of different fronts that could, could have t- taken that game much different. But do you think that you more play off of the fourth quarter when they stepped up, got back into it, gave themselves a chance to win, or more of what was a lot in those first three quarters of which we saw in four quarters back in January in Jacksonville? That was kind of what I recalled when I was watching that game, in particular in the second and third quarters. What are you relying upon to maybe go into week two in Jacksonville from this team from what you saw Sunday? You know, I think what it comes down to is they need to – their bread and butter is – their offenses where your passing game opens up the run, and then there's the Colts where they need to run the ball to try to open up their passing game. And I think they tried to go – you know, I think they – look, Houston knew Jonathan Taylor was going to be a weapon for them, but it was once they got into the the fourth quarter and Houston's playing back a little bit to prevent them from going downfield, and they're just using Jonathan Taylor at that point, then things open up. And, you know, Taylor is an elite, elite player, right? What they need, John, is they've got to get – and I don't – this is a little of the chicken egg because they need to establish a passing game to keep defenses honest enough where then you go to your bell cow, which is Jonathan Taylor, who can beat you any which way but Tuesday. But teams have to have some balance defensively. It, you know, has to respect your passing game a little bit to free to, to make things easier on Taylor. And they don't have that yet. I mean, that, to me, that's the issue. So, you know, how do you – the only way that you develop that passing game is to consistently go to it, and, and then you're getting away from Taylor. So it's kind of a catch-22 there. But I just – I think they've got to develop. I thought – look, I thought Pittman looked good, obviously. Alec Pierce really hurt him. Uh, he's a rookie. I mean, it, I know he, he may still be a wonderful player. As I say all the time, it took Reggie Wayne three quarters away through his rookie year to even catch a touchdown, right? So, you know, in that regard, you can't just dismiss a guy, but they've got to get, John, they've got to get second and third guys and catch the ball, and they got to develop tight ends. I mean, they got a lot offensively to go over. I thought Ryan, you know, Matt Ryan, I think especially, as you mentioned, once they got it going there was about what you probably wanted or expected from him. But they still have a lot to work on, and getting a passing game established is a number one. Completely agree there. I just hope besides number 11, they have the capacity in which to do that. Um, He was really good, but you didn't really find too much else that was offensively yesterday in that category. Jay Query joins us. I saw Dan Orlovsky earlier today uh, had mentioned in a negative light in a tweet the way that the plan and the play went for the Colts offensive line. I felt the same way, really. And then you kind of got this oddballish you know, sense of, you know, bringing in, you know, Ryman for, you know, some plays, what, 12 plays, and then, you know, 87% of the time it was uh, the starter, Matthew Pryor, in there. Does it seem to you like that they are trying to prime sooner rather than later to bring Ryman in to be the starter at left tackle? That That's the yes, only yes, reason yes. why you do that, right? Uh, totally, because I've always felt like, and I've asked offensive linemen this over the years, I mean, and, and I've covered some great offensive linemen i covered you know orlando pace in st louis i covered that entire line that manning had here with that had you know stability and solidarity you know rick demoling who you knew you know well right um first we talked for a while about how great his hair looked and then we talked about offensive line play and listen john i i think that sometimes when it comes to the offensive line having a group of guys that might all be a seven but are overly familiar with one another 
a lot of guys will tell you is better than having two or three nines or tens on the line because knowledge of and cohesiveness on an offensive line is so incredibly critically important. So you need repetition there. Even if you're dropping down a little bit on, on level of play by having the same guy in there, I think it benefits the entire line to just simply have consistency. So you can't do rotation through. So as soon as Ryman went in there, I'm thinking to myself, okay, they're, they're getting ready at some point and probably well, that was their plan. The yeah, that was their plan to do right. that. But I think their plan just should tell us all that at some point that's going to be the expectation this season, I would guess. That's what I mean. So, yeah. I, I mean, I think eventually they just hand the keys over to them, right? And, and they, because I think Ryman looked okay, right? I mean, you're a, you're a rookie left tackle. If your name's not regularly being mentioned, you're probably doing okay. And I think he probably exceeded a little bit. I think in the last couple of weeks at camp he probably elevated and so yes I do expect that Ryman will be by you know by the midpoint in the season I'll bet he is their solid starting left tackle I, assuming I, he's I maybe I I view too much into this but I look at this offensive line and I do the same thing for the defensive line you've got the highest paid offensive line of the NFL the third highest paid defensive line of the NFL so my bar of expectation is much higher and I didn't think too much, you know, other than Quiddy Pay and the two sacks on the same series. I didn't think, and Grover Stewart, too. I didn't really think too much of what we saw on either side of the football up front on Sunday. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, I mean, Quiddy Pay, look, it's good to get him uncorked, right? But let's be real. You know, the, the sacks kind of came a little bit, too. On, those were a little bit on Davis Mills as well. But you got to be back there. I get it. you got to be able to be back there to make the play. But, yeah, I mean, for listen, one game does not a season make. But for a franchise that has preached very loudly and very consistently that they are going to build from the trenches out, um, you know, they still have some questions to be answered in the trenches. Let me tell you this, Matt Ryan at 37, you don't really want him running for his life as much as what we saw in week one. I wouldn't imagine. That is correct. And, I mean, especially when you see, you know, look, are they burdening issues that are going to plague them all year long in terms of him his ability to hold on to the football, hopefully and probably not, but I'd rather not find out, right? I mean, I'd rather not test that theory. Yeah, no question about that at age 37. Jake Quay, the morning show. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Defensive line besides Grover Stewart, and then obviously the two plays of the same series with Quiddy Pay. Anything else stand out to you? And also, I will say this, I have been negative about it because I didn't think it was a lot of what Houston did, I was I thought it was a lot of what the Colts did to themselves. You know, other than a couple of Jerry Hughes plays, you know, I mean, even those two O.J. Howard touchdown passes, that was ridiculous. It was the same stinking play and the guy's wide ass open. So I put more blame yeah. on the Colts and the lack of execution than I did Houston being just, you know, cocked and loaded and ready to go in week number one because I thought more of what we saw in Houston was what we saw in the fourth when they started to melt down. Here's the thing. You know, we've watched enough seasons of football to know, collegiately or professionally, there are times when a team in week one struggles and, you you know, you start to hit the panic button. And then you go back and you look in early December and you go, you know, kind of makes sense now. Like that team that we thought, you know, they should have manhandled is pretty good. But I don't think Houston's that team, right? I mean, it's not like there have been years in the past where, you know, I can't remember what it was Tennessee or, you know, other teams – that early in the season you go, man, they, what is going on? And then later you look back and you go, hey, those guys actually turned out to be pretty good. So no wonder why it was a struggle. 
Dom, this is a team in Houston. Would you agree that you know they'll win what five games, maybe, maybe? No, I think. Uh, listen, it, did, it didn't change my mind about their level of suck. It didn't. Yeah, I mean, I, and I mean, granted, they've they've invested a little bit, I guess, in offensive line over the over the last couple of years, but still, I mean, you, you should not have been in a situation where you where they're even able to move the football. And I mean, the fact that Davis Mills is moving the football, yeah, it's a concern. Sure, it's a concern. Now, new scheme, new, you know, some learning curves there, right? Some you got to get some sea legs underneath you. But again, I try not to be overreaction panic guy on Mondays after Week One because it's a long year. But there are the good news for the Colts, I guess, is it's pretty glaring the areas that they need to shore up. That's the bottom line. Well, and I've also mentioned this. I mean, we're, we're just going on the body of work, and the body of work so far is that. And I've been down this path so many different times in, in recent years around here where everybody says, hey, you know, calm down. This is the whole Kevin Bacon Animal House routine. Remain calm all as well and BS to that. I've been down this path too many times to believe that everything's going to be well because rarely has it ever been well. So sorry if I kind of side on the, well, if you're looking at, you know, crap, it may end up being sustainable further down the road. Yeah. So it's kind of one of those things where, you know, people like me, you, you got to prove it and you got to be able to sustain in, in proving it to me. And I don't think that's unfair. John, I think the one thing that, that gets a little bit tiresome is probably the wrong word. And I want to be clear here. I mean, I realize that I opened the segment by saying, like, look, when we're talking about a player that's on thin ice, we're not making that up, right? And clearly in this case, that was the case with Blankenship. But there is some truth to this as well, and that is I know that he had a bad game. But you don't cut a guy after one bad game. So what, you know, so what was it that they didn't see about him before Houston that everybody else seemingly could see? Or did they? You know, they, did, they, were, not, they were very well, supportive of him publicly. It's, so, a, it's the easiest thing to do right now from, you know, that game that ended in a tie and what really went haywire with the two out-of-bounds kicks and the missed field goal. You combine that, Jake, with this. It was, A, the easiest thing to do. Um, B, you have a history of, you know, with Adam Vinatieri three years ago, you rode that thing out, and that was detrimental to your team and winning. We saw that, and, um, you know, again, I, it's it's something that you had going in that we said that they had, but they said they didn't, and that was a lack of really deeply legitimate trust in a place kicker that won a, a contest that really wasn't that much of a contest against the guy that wasn't any good. That's kind of, yeah, it, to it, me, that four layers of, of where we are at place kicker right now. Interesting you mentioned Benetieri because I mentioned that as well was this morning of, you know, the track record was there. The precedent was there of them sticking with the guy when they probably shouldn't have at the kicker position. And I realize that Benetieri earns benefit of the doubt based on career. I get it. But, yeah, the, the precedent was there for for them to ride this thing out too long. And, and obviously they, they finally, they saw enough and, and that was that. Right. So, I mean, I think they made the right move. I think they made the right move, but no, you had to, yeah. You know, I mean, you had to do something yeah. about it. There's no, but it is, it is the easiest one. I mean, it's the one that you can act, absolutely do something about right here and right now. But I think it also stands to reason that you can think that they, they much like us deep down inside weren't too sold on, on blank and ship either. So you know, right. and all that stuff that we had heard, you know, you're talking too much about it. I, I don't want to hear anybody again tell me I'm making too big of a deal out of a place kicker and a punter because both of those aspects came hey. largely into play as to why this team tied on Sunday in Houston. I'm telling you right now, 
when we and I'm gonna I've been saying this. I said it again this morning. I'll take my victory lap, not victory lap, but when Kevin and I did our list of ten most indispensable Colts, and people laughed at me, rightly so. I get it. And I put Rigoberto Sanchez number ten, but John, I did so, and I prefaced it at the time by saying, I don't. I'm not saying he is one of the ten best players on their roster, but he he brings something to the table that is harder to replicate than people realize. And he was the only one on the roster at the time that did it, obviously. True, punters are, you know, kind of a dime a dozen. But there's a lot more that goes into it than just putting the football against your foot and sending it the other way to flip a possession. There's holding. There's kickoffs. I mean, Rigoberto Sanchez, I think we're finding out, was a pretty valuable player, right? And a guy that uh, – top ten, probably not. But that there, he brought a lot to the table, right? And, and I think we're seeing ripple effects now of his not being out there due to injury. Yeah. So Jake Query, the morning show, Kevin and Query. How are things going with Dykton? You keeping him in line? Good. Good. He I think he gets in there at like five thirty in the morning and is ready to go. <laughs> I think Mark's a funny dude, man. The thing about Mark that cracks me up is every day he comes up with a different impersonation that I don't even think he knew that he could do. Um so he's got some good voices, but uh we've had fun. You know, listen, I'm I'm happy for Kevin. You know, when Kevin had his when his wife yeah. Yeah, delivered their boy. Um, I will give Kevin Bowen a lot of credit here, and I think this is cool. I, I think it's great. I he, um, you know, he basically said like, "Hey, I'm taking the week off," and the phone went off, and that's the way it should be, man. I mean, you know what I mean? He's a dad, and, and he's a father, and um, I think it's good for him to kind of step away, maybe from the Colts for a little bit for that week, and just do and focus on what really matters, and that's good stuff. So, look forward to having him back. But Mark and I've had fun in the meantime. I did a uh, a phone interview with the sports talk in los angeles back in january of 06 in the parking lot at san friskin in mooresville when blake was born with michael thompson and his (laughs) (laughs) co-host hold on a second let me go out and take this call so yes i admire kevin a great deal for that sweetheart if you can just keep pushing for like 15 more minutes, I'll be right <laughs> didn't, back. Didn't do me a damn bit of good either, to be honest with you. Not one. You know what's funny, too, when you think about it, and and, and, and none of this is, is real, but when you think about it, um, as far as, you know, an ownership transition, I'm really excited about where we are now. There's no doubt about it. But a week before the start of the NFL season has, you know, been with everything going on a little bit odd to awkward and i'm sure kevin probably feels the same way about the timing of baby max coming along right yeah but he might have picked the best week right i mean no you got to be in here for uh, this i mean yeah you, i mean you don't have to if you're kevin obviously in his situation you don't but i mean no, this, but I'm saying, yeah, like, this is some stuff that uh that you want to be a part of, especially the, the opening week of the nfl because it is such a big deal to everybody around here you know listen we're going through a, a corporate acquisition so like the emails are a little slow right now anyway so what the heck you know like if you're gonna if you're gonna have it now's the time to do it right but there is plenty to talk about and you know i look forward to when he's back because i think when it comes to breaking down the colts and knowing the you know the practice what's going on in terms of their x's and o's kevin's the best you know he's the best so look forward to having him back but we're having fun with it uh in the meantime it's kind of like you know it's it really kind of feels like when when your dad like you know like like, I feel like Dykin and I are in there having, you know, cookie, like the great American cookie for breakfast every morning and hot dog and macaroni and cheese for dinner every night. It's like when mom's out on a business trip and it's like, heck yeah, let's go. You view, Kevin, you view Kevin Bowen as a father figure? 
I would say the father figure, but the, the taskmaster for sure. Like he's the one that kind of keeps it in line, right? Like we got to be honest about things. And hey, he was. I was going to sing you the George you know, Michael song, but I thought yeah, that's not what that song really means, so I didn't do it. I do like George Michael. I will be what your father figure. Put your tiny hands in mine. That's just not what. Yeah. That's not. That's not good. I mean, the the title, I guess, would make sense, but the lyrics would. Hey, really quick, before I let you go, Jake Quarry's with us, and I'm way over here, and I do have to go, but do you think at all, somebody had asked me if I thought that Frank Reich was coaching for his job this weekend, and I don't. I think that it would take a an absolute, ridiculous, spectacular, foobarish set of circumstances for Jim Irsay to make an unprecedented move. I, I guess it's not unprecedented, but nearly unprecedented move in, in season uh, of this nature. Uh, it would. And I don't think that any fan or anybody at all would want to go down the path it would take to have something like that happen. Do I think he's coaching for his job? I do not. But if he wants to avoid at any point this year, his job being tenuous, he needs to get this one because if they lose this game, it is far, 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 far different than any other loss they could yeah. accumulate on this year to the owner. I, I, uh, I just, I think it would take a spectacular level of foobar for the owner to do that. But well, I just, I just, yeah. But you, I'm telling you, you, it, you tempt yourself if you start walking down that path. And Sunday in Jacksonville, you'd start walking down that path. And and hopefully those players recognize that too, because most of them played like junk on Sunday. So hopefully they recognize if they like their coach and they don't like stuff bad written about him, said about him on shows or whatever on the internet, it would behoove them to go down there and play like they understand that. It would. But it would have been that way at the end of last year as well, and we saw what happened. And we have been told that the problem that existed that caused that to fall short last year has been changed. So now it's up to the rest of the roster to show that that, in fact, was the difference. Morning show tomorrow morning, 7 a.m. Without a Kevin Bowen, who's home with the family and baby Max. It is Jake Query and Mark Dykton tomorrow morning, beginning at 7 on the Fan Morning Show. Jake's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Always appreciative, man. I'll talk at you soon. Appreciate it, John. We'll talk to you. Jake Query on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. 